You've tuned in to the Roundtable Dialogues, number five, The Grim Mistresses Talk About Horror, with Stacey Turner, S.R. Cambridge, C.W. Lassart, and Mercedes Yardley. Hello, literary alchemists, and welcome to a special edition of the Roundtable Podcast, The Roundtable Dialogues. Tonight, dear friends, we're talking horror. Psychological, whimsical, visceral, clowns, scarecrows, serial killers, ghosts, nothing is off the table tonight. And honestly, given the august lineup of horror authors gathered together on the Skype line right now, I'm amazed the internet hasn't collapsed from the concentrated fabulosity. Uh, Now, while each of them are stellar storytellers in their own right, when they are gathered together, they become, not the Avengers, the Grim Mistresses, so named for the newly released anthology of deeply chilling and disturbing tales from the spectacular Angelic Night Press, the horror imprint of the equally epic Ragnarok Publications. So allow me to briefly, and I promise, dear friends, these will be brief. I will, I will, I will, I will definitely step away from my normal introduction vibe. Briefly introduce each and welcome them to the to the mic and to the Skype line, and then we'll get down to it. First on the list is Stacy Turner. Now, in addition to all the other things she does, she still finds time to write book reviews, interview authors, blog like a mad fiend, and write some chilling fiction, which has appeared in Fading Light, an anthology of the monstrous, and of Devils and Deviants. Her short story series, Satan's Toy Box, includes such gems as demonic dolls, toy soldiers, and terrifying teddies. And we're not talking the lingerie there. Her story in the Grim Mistress's anthology is The Night Air. Stacey Turner, thank you so much for making the time. We're glad to have you here on the Skype line. Oh, gosh. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Next on the list is C.W. Lassart, Karen to her friends, who knew she was destined to be a writer when her very first attempted submission back in 2010 was snatched up for publication by Dark Moon Digest. Since then, her keyboard has been blazing with dark fire, and her works have been featured by Cemetery Dance Publications, Airlander Press, Evil Jester Press, and her anthology of extreme horror, Ad Nauseam, was recently released by Dark Moon Press. The fact that she's terrified of the dark may seem odd for a horror writer, but then she's seen what's in those shadows, so maybe we're the fools. Her tale in the Dark Mistress's anthology is Hazing Cinderella. Karen, thank you so much. We're glad to have you here at the Roundtable Dialogues. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Next is S.R. Cambridge. Now, it ain't every day you get to chat with someone who's been on Jeopardy, but friends, today is that day for us. Uh, But, you know, having her picture taken with Alex Trebek is the least of Sarah's achievements. She's a litigation lawyer for a Toronto law firm, a great enthusiast of both fancy cocktails and napping, and in addition to being featured in Grim Mistresses, you can find her story, The Magus and the Betyar, in Ragnarok Publications' upcoming Blackguards Anthology. Her story in The Grim Mistresses is The Leopard's Pelt. Sarah, delighted you could join us here at the Dialogues, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you for having me. 
And finally, I'm delighted to welcome back to our sumptuous virtual studios, former guest host of the RTP, Mercedes Yardley, a dark fantasist who crafts whimsical horror. Her first professional sale was Show Your Bones in the January 2008 issue of the Vestal Review. Her stories have been gathered in many collections, but Beautiful Sorrows was the first to exclusively feature her work. Apocalyptic Montessa and Nuclear Lulu, A Tale of Atomic Love, was my personal gateway drug into her awesomeness. And since then, Nameless the Darkness Comes and Pretty Little Dead Girls have spread their sweet shadow across the land. Her contribution to the Grim Mistresses is a tale called Little Dead Red. Mercedes, welcome back to the RTP, ma'am. Glad to have you. Oh, thanks for having me, Dave. It's always fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. This is a roundtable dialogue on horror. So let me let me start off. I'm going to start off uh, with Karen, if I might. And, and this is a question that I'm going to ask all of you uh, as we make our way around the table. Um, but uh, there are a lot of genres out there. There are, are sci-fi, fantasy, uh, uh, thriller, so on and so forth. And each of you has not only chosen horror but basically grabbed it by the throat and and throttled it and and immersed yourselves in these rich dark delicious tales and i'm really curious karen first to you why horror what is it about horror that that so speaks to your creative muse (laughs) oh i'm not sure i had a choice Uh, (laughs) it's always been horror with me from the time I was a little kid, uh, Halloween surpasses Christmas every year. Always has. <laughs> uh, loved, loved Edgar Allan Poe. I, I really enjoyed the fairy tales, but the dark ones, you know, it was, it was just always horror. And you, I think you should always write what you enjoy. I try to write stories that I would want to read. And I do on occasion like to read fantasy and other things but for the most part it's horror it's just always been horror have you ever given any thought to why what what does it do for you what what is it that that you know if if you see three books side by side and one of them is horror you grab at that what is that for you i i don't know i mean i suppose you might as well ask me why my eyes are blue (laughs) always has been i don't question it it's It's, horror's fun it's more fun than anything else it's just it makes me giddy. It's it's a good time, and I don't know. Maybe I've always just been a little morbid. Okay, no, that's that totally rocks. And 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 really, sometimes your genre chooses you. You don't choose your genre. Absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely. Sarah, what about you? Uh, uh, is this is this something that you had an option for and or not? So I um I was invited to be in this anthology dead last. And I, you know, I'm not <laughs> only really because just, I didn't know you, Sarah. No, 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 no worries. Not it. There's, there's nothing, uh, nothing wrong with that, of course. Um, but by that, I mean I'm not really a capital H horror writer, and my entry into this was really more in the fairy tales end. And it's been so lovely to meet all these ladies who are so wonderful and scary, and I feel like a bit, you know, like they're sort of mwahahaha, and I'm like over here being all rainbows and unicorns. But um, <laughs> I, I love, love, love to read horror. One of my first entries into reading fiction for adults was reading just tons of Stephen King and Clive Barker. And I think my answer is similar to Karen's in that, you know, it's just so fun. It's fun to be scared. It's fun to be chilled. And uh, it, it's really good to write something that has that visceral effect on people. Sure. 
Absolutely. Mercedes, what about you? Now, now you, you've, been, you've been swimming in these waters for a while, all the way back with Shock Totem. Uh, what's, and, and, and your take on it is, I mean, whimsical horror. I've, I've commented in the past on the, on the odd contrast those two words create together, but you pull it off beautifully. What, what is horror for you? What, is, what, what are you expressing through that and through your work? You know, you take Karen and you take Sarah and you smash them together in that scene because I am like these, these horrifying dark rainbows and unicorns is what I like. So <laughs> I like, I think horror has an elegance to it. And I think that being scared is what I really like about it is it's a unifying feeling. Like um, one of the things that I, I say quite often is not everybody understands love. Not everybody understands compassion, but everybody understands what it's like to be afraid. So in, in a way, it's it's a way to kind of communicate with other people. But I like to find the beauty in the horror. I like, you know, the the love stories and, you know, monsters that love. is That's one of my themes and and have this darkness, but also have the, you know, glitter and sunshine in it. <laughs> glitter, awesome. murder. glitter murder. Glitter murder. Glitter murder. That's going to be the title of my next story. When that's I the new thing genre. right there. You heard it first here on the roundtable, friends. <laughs> that's awesome. And I think you're absolutely right, Mercedes. I think I think it is one of the – we all read read for – to find things that resonate to us. And, and you're right. Fear is – for for better or worse, a, a a universal theme throughout many people's lives. Stacy, what about you? Have you have you come to this by choice or were you selected? Uh, I have to say, I was selected with the help of my parents. Um, my mom and dad were both big horror buffs. Uh, Stephen King books were always laying around our house when I was growing up. Ramsey Campbell. My mom loved scary movies, scary TV shows. They let me watch The Birds when I was four. Which kind of led to a lifelong phobia of birds, those aviary <laughs> things at the zoo. I can't get anywhere near those <laughs> without having a panic attack. Um, Night Gallery, that old sh- anthology show that yes. was in the 70s. I, my earliest memory is watching that show with my mother um, every Sunday night. We actually lived in Japan because my dad was in the Air Force. And it was one of the few American shows that we got. And every Sunday night, we'd be parked in front of that TV. And the actual memory I have is us watching it and then the power going out. (laughs) (laughs) It did frequently as well. And not that I was scared, more that how mad my mom was that she was going to miss her show. (laughs) You know, this was way before DVRs and (laughs) being able to catch up. So it's just, it's always been a part of my life and it's always been a part that I really enjoyed, even though I get terrified of things like Karen, I'm still, I'm still kind of afraid of the dark. You know, I have a nightlight in my bathroom and I tell my husband it's so I don't trip in the middle of the night on the way. (laughs) It's really so that if I wake up and I'm frightened, I can look and see that light. (laughs) Coming out of the shower without you seeing it. (laughs) So, um... I think it's that. And, you know, I read all kinds of things. I mean, I don't just read horror. I read contemporary. I've read romance. Uh, just about anything I can get my hands on. The backs of shampoo bottles if I'm really bored. But I, I genuinely like the horror. And when I'm thinking of something, it doesn't matter where I think I'm going with that thought. Somehow the horror creeps in, you know. Interesting. I'm watching something and all of a sudden I'm like, but what if? And I often voice it aloud and my husband looks at me and goes, What? 
why, why would you think that? Because I, I, I know that story. <laughs> I know that well. I, I'd imagine that happens fairly often around your, your various households at some point oh, in time. Yeah. Like, really? You went there? Wow. Yep. Okay. Well, and, and Stacy, it just occurred to me that I really didn't get a chance to introduce our, our listeners to the Grim Mistresses Anthology. Would you would you do me the honor of just uh, uh, briefly summarizing for our listeners what the Grim Mistresses is and, and what they can expect to find in there? Sure. Um, the Grim Mistresses is we kind of uh, got together and decided that we wanted to do modern uptakes on fairy tales. And everybody chose which tale they wanted to do. Um, I knew that Karen had one that she had submitted to a different anthology for me that hadn't worked for that anthology, but would definitely work for this one if she expanded it and made it longer. (laughs) And uh, I think it came out fantastic. And mine came from a short story that I had written a long time ago for a fairy tale based thing. Mercedes and Allison just kind of ran with it. They're all different modern tellings of fairy tales. Some, it's very easy to tell which tale they're going with. I think it's pretty obvious from the beginning that Mercedes is uh, Little Red Riding Hood. Mm-hmm. And Karen's title, Hazing Cinderella, kind of gives that one away. <laughs> yep. Um, but the leopard pelt and nectar, those are a little more vague. You'll right. Have to, you'll have to right. dig into that. And um, and I'm not even sure that all the way at the end, some people don't seem to realize that Nectar is Hansel and Gretel. <laughs> um, oh, you gave it away. There you go. Spoilers. Well, it, it's not a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it, you know. I don't think it's a spoiler because her tale is. It takes the basic tale but twists it in such a way that you know it, it's all new. I think all of the tales are definitely all new in the way that we dealt with them. And Sarah's is just a lovely, enchanting fairy tale. Really, when I read hers, it was like reading the Grimm's Tales that first time. You're just so drawn into it. That's wonderful. So even though it's not horror per se, it's still amazing and fits so well. I mean, there's just so many different takes on the fairy tales that I think we appeal to a lot of people because there's something for everyone. We have Karen's Extreme Horror. We have Mercedes' Whimsical Horror. We have Sarah's Enchanting fairy tale and then we have allison's which is almost a sci-fi horror blend mm-hmm. and then um i would call my creepy horror like horror. an atmospheric horror and we can't skip that one thank you thank you that is how i'd like to have it described but <laughs> so so you guys it's kind like of twilight zone episode there you go <laughs> thank awesome. you uh, so, so it's 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 it'd be fair to say that uh, you took the term grim with two M's as a reference to the fairy tales, but also there is there is a, a a dark thread that runs through all of the stories, is there not? There, there definitely is, and okay. that's exactly what we were going for when we were brainstorming the title. We wanted to acknowledge the Grimm brothers, but we wanted to also acknowledge that we were females redoing those tales. So that's how we came up with uh, Grim Mistresses. Okay. Well, and that leads me to my next question and diving in. This this is a collection of, of female horror writers uh, who have gathered together and, and created this. Really, it is. It's delicious. It is a delicious collection of, of these dark, sweet, uh, uh, grim tales, if I if I may use the term. Uh, and, and it kind of begged the question for me, is, is there a distinction, do you think, uh, between the way uh, women approach horror and write horror and the way men uh, uh, write or or express horror through through the literary format. 
it, it's it's been largely a a male, you know, and this has been true across so many of the genres. Is is it's, it's the old boys club. Thank goodness that's changing. Uh, uh, but I'm curious, and and there may not be, there may be no polarity at all in this. But I'm curious about your thoughts. Yeah, I think the diversity of the stories in our collection really shows that there's no one way that women write horror or genre fiction. Um, you know, we have all, you know, we're all women and we've all come at this from a different point of view and come up with five very different, very excellent stories. And, you know, I, I'm always of two minds about being asked about being a woman in any kind of industry. There's a part of me, of course, that loves the the creation of spaces for women to come together and make art and share art and this grim mistresses project is a wonderful project but there's also something about being categorized as a woman writer that's a bit diminishing in a way as though it's a surprise that a woman is a writer so you have to put woman in front of the word writer um you know you never call people a man writer so i <laughs> <laughs> That's absolutely true. I, I, you know, it is true. There, there is a part of me that balks a bit at trying to determine whether something that I write is something that's representative of women writing if I express that in any kind of articulate way at all. Well, it really does kind of add this this extra and really unnecessary layer of consideration uh, uh, because it's a good story or it's not. The, the, the source really kind of is irrelevant. Uh, and, and I even hesitated to bring it up, but it, it's just it's it's been such a polarizing issue in in speculative fiction in general. And and so no, and I, I think it's a wonderful question to have. I'm not saying don't bring it up for sure. Okay. Um, it's just it's it's I think it's extra burdensome to have to speak for an entire gender. <laughs> yes, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> Mercedes, what about you? Uh, is, is in you in your consumption of of horror fiction, the horror genre in general, horror media, and, and your expression of it through your own work, have you noticed any kind of distinction between uh, expressions in the genders? You know, I'd have to say no, because there are some women like Lisa Morton who writes just in-your-face horror, and then there's like Damien Angelica uh, Walters that writes like beautiful, very poetic horror. I think it all comes down to, to individual, you know? There are some men like uh, Lee Thompson who writes these absolutely gorgeous turns of phrases that are, you know, very um, poetic. And and he's a guy, you know, so I think there's... <laughs> I'm going to start introducing all my friends as man writers now. I'll be like, this is my man writer friend. Yes, yes. I think There's we a man ought. writer here. By God, if we're going to introduce... Yes, this is a woman writer, then by God, yes, this is a man writer over here. Well said. This is dutiful over here. <laughs> I, I think it comes to, like, individual author voice versus, you know, gender. I mean, it's not like you grow up learning how to speak according to gender, you know? I mean, maybe back in the old days, no. I mean, you grow up with your cousins, you speak like your cousins. You know, right. you grow up with your buddies, you speak like your buddies. So I think with the uh, voice, it has to do with you. But then I'm a sociology, you know, freak. So I'm <laughs> like, it's all about where you, the, the nature and, you know, yeah. <laughs> I could go on for hours. I'll stop there. That's an excellent point. Excellent point. Stacey, what about you? Uh, uh, is this is this a non-issue, do you think? I, I really feel it's a non-issue, too. I think it's not a gender thing so much as just an individual thing. Everyone experiences horror differently. What scares me might not scare Mercedes or might not scare you, 
but what frightens Sarah or Karen might not frighten me at all. So I really think that each writer speaks to what frightens them. So whether you're male or female, you're going to have that. I mean, I don't look at a book and decide, oh, it's by a woman. I'm going to read it. You know, I read what storyline appeals to me. And when we got the Grim Mistresses together to do an all-female book, it wasn't, you know, because we thought female voices were different. It was more because there is that Women in Horror Month. And so we thought, well, we'll do something to celebrate that. And there's not a lot of all female anthologies. True that. Either. So it's a fine addition and a great celebration, a wonderful way to, to celebrate that month. Uh, excellent stuff. Karen, wrap it up. Another agreed, non issue. This is, this is, this is people. This is not gender. I would have to say, of all the stories I've written, I have yet to write one with my vagina. Um, <laughs> I would say it's definitely non issue. You know, I, I will admit that a lot of my. One of my go-tos is definitely pregnancy and motherhood, which could be seen as more of a woman's horror. But at the same time, I've written a story where a guy's got a spider web coming out of his urethra. So, no, non-issue. Non-issue, non-issue, and and those and those horrifying things. You know, the 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 sacredness of motherhood, for example. That that's that's not distinctive to gender. Uh, uh, men men will feel the horror of 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 someone in peril in that environment just as much as anyone else would. So, yeah. Or just the horror of pregnancy itself. I mean, I love <laughs> being pregnant with my children, but let's think about it. It's not only is it absolutely a vulnerable state, it's also kind of creepy. You know, I mean, there's <laughs> something in there moving around. Is it a baby? We'll see. <laughs> it's you not know? you. So, yeah. Yeah, well, think of it. It's, it's a parasite. It's uh-huh. leaching, you know, it's leaching the calcium from your bones. All my teeth started to break when I was pregnant, especially with the triplets. I had nothing left. I would eat and eat and eat and eat, and they took every nutrient I had. I mean, it was insane. And then they're all moving. Yeah. And then a C-section. I actually, you know, and my my husband's taking pictures, which was not a good idea during the C-section. No, no, And showing me. He's like, here's the baby. And I'm like, those are my guts. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Oh, look, there's a baby, too. Oh, you know. I'm like, like, carefully crop that before you show me. He's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that would be a good idea. Good idea. I'm like, I'm feeling my blood vessels being cauterized. I I can smell it. And he's all like, "Yeah, I guess that is kind of creepy, huh?" And I'm like, "Ah!" I, I can hear a new anthology in 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 the making already, uh, focusing <laughs> around this particular topic. All right, let's 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 shelve the 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 male female man woman gender thing as a non issue. And I agree. I I think uh, if nothing else, this this anthology demonstrates that you know take the author names away and just savor the stories. You're not gonna know, and that's that's ultimately what's important. Just Put, read the stories and savor them for their sweet dark goodness. So, so let me let me move on to a a, a different question then. Uh, and this one was posted up on the uh, the Facebook page for Grim Mistresses by my buddy James Silverstein, and I thought it was an intriguing one. Uh, uh, the distinction between other horror media like comics or or artwork or film uh, and the writing of horror. What's the what's the difference? How do you think in terms of expressing horror from a literary perspective as opposed to a horror film or, or a piece of artwork? And, and Mercedes, I'll, I'll lead off with you if I can. Uh, what, what's your take on, on the distinction of literary versus film, for example? I, I think the main thing is that uh, we can't have jump scares in a book. 
Um, it has to be <laughs> very, point. you know, it can't be like you turn the page and, oh, <laughs> oh know? my God, unless it's, it's blank, book, unless it's a blank yeah. page, that would be horrifying. <laughs> it would be. That's every writer's nightmare. Um, <laughs> I think uh, we have to really kind of get in your mind in a different way than a film has to or some sort of uh, visionary art, visual art. Um, we can't show you something. We have to write it in such a way that you create it yourself. And that kind of is really nice on one hand, but it also puts an extra burden of work on the writer because we have to do something so clearly that you can see it in your mind. But at the same time, it's nice because the the reader is kind of taking what you've written and it's this elaborate dance, you know, and like I can't I can write it. But if you're not reading it, it doesn't really exist. And then the reader takes what you tell them and then creates this horrific being and horrific thing in their mind. And that's great because it it makes it what they're afraid of more because they have had their own terror to it, but it also sanitizes it to them. So it's never above they what they can handle, I think. Like if I get shown something on the screen, I can't get that out of my head. That's I don't want to see that. I wish I'd never seen that. Like for me, that um, scene in American History X where they stomp the guy on the curb, wish I never saw that, you know. <laughs> but it's and burned in there now. It's burned in there now. And um, with a book – there's that safety valve that the reader has. And I like that. I like that they're like, okay, well, I, you know, I've, I've just closed the curtains on <laughs> the horror. Like right. with the, the old, the old stories, like, um, Little Red Riding Hood. And they're like, okay. And then they cut the, you know, the axe man, the, the woodsman cut the wolf's stomach and Little Red jumps out. And you can make that as clean as you want or as grim and gory as you want. I just always thought, cut, she jumps out, I'm good. Yeah, and that no was blood, fine. no guts. Yeah, it was just a you know? zipper. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and you can do that with a book or as a movie that you, you, you can't. And I, I like that. I like that the reader gets to do so much of the creation. Yeah. 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 Stacy, what about you? What, uh, what do you think uh, the burden of the horror writer as opposed to the horror film or the horror or the horror comic, for example? Well, it really is all graphic. You know, we really have to set the scene for the reader because we don't have those visual clues to give them. Just like it's really everything Mercedes just said. <laughs> she <covered laughs> the topic really well. Um, yeah. And it's balancing. It's balancing how much you tell the reader, um, how much detail you give versus how much you don't give. You know, how much do they need to see the scene versus telling them everything they didn't want to know? Well, and if if, if Mercedes uh, hogged the question, wait, way to go, Mercedes. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> then, then feel, take that, lady. <laughs> Sorry. Feel feel free to throw in how how you specifically do it. So, Stacey, where where do you draw that line between how much to show? Are you are you a a, a massive descriptor, or or do you prefer to uh, uh, let the reader fill in the blanks? Uh, gosh, I would hope I'm somewhere in the middle. Um, I think that very sparse prose is hard to read. But then very overly detailed prose has a tendency to get tedious, too. So I try to go somewhere in the middle. On a first draft, I'm a little more sparse and have to go back in and throw in a little more description. Um, but And I don't know. I leave that up to my beta readers, really. Okay. <laughs> they come back and say, you're dragging. <laughs> and you have to cut something. <laughs> but, uh, you know, or if they, they come back and ask me a question that I thought I had explained. You know, then you because you've got it. You've got the whole scene in your head. I don't know how the other girls write. But for me, I have the whole scene pictured in my head. I can see the first the first scene in the night air when they're driving up to the house. I can totally see that house in my head. 
So I mean, it's, almost, it's almost cinematic transcription for you then in that respect. Right, right. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I see all of it, so it's hard to know what to include because as a reader, I don't necessarily want to know all of that. I like to make my own picture. So it's a fine line. It's it's really hard to tread. Okay. Karen, what about you? Any Anything to add on the on the distinction between the written horror and the the, the cinematic or, or graphic, the artistic horror? Uh, uh, and and how, do you, how do you walk that line in your own work? Um, I would say we have to work a little bit harder. Like Mercedes said, there's no jump scares. There's no visual. And visual can be a very, very powerful medium. I mean, it's instant. It's right there. If you watch a horror movie, there's a monster there. But if I write a story... The horror movies created one monster. My story could create a thousand monsters because the monster's different in everybody's head. You know, a picture's worth a thousand words. Mm-hmm. So obviously we are having to put a little bit more into it just to try and create our picture. I am strangely the opposite of Stacy. I, I see nothing when I write. I uh, tend to write in, on autopilot. I get an idea. It rolls around for a while when I'm ready to write it. It's almost like I'm reading it. I see words in my head. I don't see scenes typically. If I do, they're so abstract and brief. As I'm describing things, I'll see someone's action, but I won't see who the person is. I don't see characters. I don't see places that well. I see the words to describe them, and I go on autopilot. Wow. That's all I can say is I just I write it, and then I'm like, oh, wow. Karen, I've been doing this for going on three years now, and and that may be the first time I've heard that. That that's that's I'm wild. I'm <laughs> in the best possible way. In the best possible way. I'm used to being the weirdo in the group. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. and it makes me. I I I instantly. I guarantee you that the ears have pricked up. People want to read your work now, just to see how that translates to the page. Well done. Sarah, what about you? Uh, uh, any any further insights into that distinction between the the visual arts and the written arts in horror, and and how do you how do you uh, try and evoke that that horrific aspect in your work? I I agree with Mercedes that you know books are um, cold media, a bit of a communications degree throwback there, <laughs> where the uh, <laughs> where the reader you know is forced to engage with the material more and fill in the gaps with their own mind. And I think there's something really special in that, as the ladies have already said. Um, with my own writing, I'm a little bit more like Stacy in that I see themes, although I'm not like Stacy, and it sounds like Stacy kind of puts the bare bones of the story in and then fills it in until she's got a full body going. And I just kind of jump a lot on the page and then mercilessly cut and cut during editing. (laughs) So it's kind of funny to hear what different people's processes are. It is. It's intriguing. Absolutely intriguing. Out of curiosity, Sarah, do you prefer first person or third person? Oh, probably third in writing. I I do write in both, um, but I probably read and write more in third. Okay. I I just, just, I've, I've not tried to write horror uh i i would imagine well i guess there would be a unique challenge between first person and third person third person you can get a much wider view of things first person makes it much more intimate and almost claustrophobic i would imagine i think all the grim mistress's stories are in third if i'm remembering right okay yeah they okay. are interesting first person's easier to slip into though you 
you become the character and you can just slip, slide right into that voice and just keep going. I think first is easier to write. I think so too. I've, I've written uh, a couple of first person pieces and it, it's, it's very natural. Uh, and also you're, I, I think because you're bound by the perception of the person whose head you're in, uh, you don't necessarily need to cover the entire world. You've just got this, this one narrow scope. Uh, exactly. Through which to tell the story. Yeah, okay, I have two uh, distinct voices that I write in. And when I write in third person, it's usually more kind of the ephemeral and more lyrical. But when I write in the first person voice, it tends to almost always be kind of snarky and just kind of um, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, great. Like Nameless was written in first person and Apocalyptic Montesto was written in third. And so it's like whatever voice I or whatever atmosphere I need for that story tends to kind of be the voice that I choose. Okay. And those, once, and, I fi- once I figured that out, you know, Chris is like, why are my voices so conflicting? And then it's like, yeah, it's just how it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and those are very different voices too. If you've they read are. one or the other, it's like, wow, same author. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, my, my husband tells me all the time. He says, you know, Sadie, your mind is not your friend. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so good that you're a writer. You can at least distance that a little bit. Use it, sweetheart. <laughs> Stacy, what about you? First person, third person, what's your take? Um, I prefer third because when I'm seeing a scene, I'm seeing everyone. <laughs> if I can't tell you about everyone, I feel constricted. I don't think I've ever written anything in first person, to be honest. Ooh, see, now, there, challenge thrown. There's the gauntlet <laughs> right there. Darn it. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> well, well, let me ask you this. And, and Stacey, I'll start off with you. Uh, I, I, every writer has, has found those moments where you write a passage or a chapter or even just a sentence and, and that feeling of, holy crap, did I write that? Uh, uh, either because it's so awesome or so horrifying. So I'm, I'm curious, <laughs> Stacey, uh, uh, what's the flat out scariest thing thing you've ever written something that you looked at and went oh i need help i need help bad and i need it now <laughs> um i wrote a short story about two months ago called the ballad of johnny and Lisette, and the beginning line is i want to be a serial killer he whispered in her ear as they danced cheek to cheek <laughs> the music from the jukebox in bob's tavern and I guess it is first. I guess it is first person. Uh oh. No, it's not. She, she whispered said, in her ear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, whispered in her ear. Um, gosh, and I can't remember the second line, but she's excited about it. And, and that story was the first one I've written without any supernatural flair to it, really. And uh, yeah, they're not nice people. No, no. Shocking, Sarah. What about you? Scariest thing you've ever written. Oh, I, you know what? It's probably honestly my story in Grim Mistresses. I generally don't write a ton of scary stuff. Fundamentally, I love my characters and I want them to be happy. So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) so I don't really, uh, write really huge frightful elements to most of the things that I, that I put together. Well, without giving anything away or, or spoilers or anything, can you, can you tell Mm -hmm. us what scared you about it? Well, there is a scene in the story where, Basically, the main character has to stab a leopard to death. And that's kind of more gruesome than most of the things that I write. Okay. And that happens early on. I don't think that's much of a spoiler. Okay, good, 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 good. Karen, what about you? And and I'm terrified to ask this question. But... 
<laughs> what's the scariest thing you ever wrote? Well, I I don't know about scary. Um, I know that the story that I wrote that scared me the most was called Mommy. And it came out in Dark Moon Books Presents Ghosts. And the gist of the story is Mommy has these children and this one child is plagued by... Oh, something along the line of dark poltergeists. And, and the mommy's left alone to, to protect them the whole time. And towards the end of the story, you start to realize that mommy has to come to terms with the fact that she won't always be there to protect them. And that, to me, is a personal fear. But as far as the stuff that I've written that I've looked back on and gone, God, most of it is more twisted than anything else. It's pretty much any sex scene I've ever written in my life. <laughs> I, uh, I, the story I sold to Irelander Press, they did an audio version of, and I never downloaded it. But on the Kindle feature, you can download the first few minutes of it. And it's, it's erotic horror and it's very, very graphic and nasty from minute one. And I remember playing it on the computer and my, my beloved Lou coming up behind me and listening with me and just my face flamed. I mean, I just <laughs> like looking at me like side eye, like, wow, babe. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I know. I've got nothing to say. And it was this very posh British man reading it. And it was very, very graphic and nasty language. And it's this very, very posh, posh British man reading it. And, and it was fabulous and horrible all at the same time. We laughed so hard we cried. I mean, I, just, I, sat up there, I was like, I don't know what to say. But yeah, I wrote it. Mm -hmm. That's me. That and was just kind of smiled and walked away. And Own it, baby. Mercedes, most terrifying thing you've written? Well, I want to download that just to hear that. I know, right? <laughs> it's like we're all, we're all ah, well, Google searching what? right now. Yeah, I want to hear that. Um, <laughs> I think maybe the most horrifying scene that I wrote was probably in Apocalyptic Montessa and Nuclear Lulu. And it was uh, a scene. Well, it was a scene where um, Montessa uh, is killing a, a previous lover. And she's stabbing him to death. She can't get the knife to go through. So she's Lou's trying to talk her through it helpfully he's trying to help her in the best way he can and he's like lean on the knife use your weight and i remember my dad um talking to me later and he's like i really liked that book he says that was a i didn't expect that from you that was gory and they're slipping in blood every now you know all the time and but i, I liked that and 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 that was a hard scene for me to write because i usually am more of a you know leave it to the imagination sort of thing but that scene and then having my father read it and be like, well, that was gross. You know, <laughs> <laughs> really pretty much anything that your parents would read. I think at that point becomes a terrifying piece. Oh my goodness. So. My mom won't, won't read my work. She's like, Oh, you have a book out. Hooray. <laughs> a little red riding hood, not touching it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> they know you my too mom's well. My number one beta reader. Really? Oh, really? She reads everything first. Yep. Wow. Stacy, Sarah, what about you guys? Do your parents read your work? No. <laughs> <laughs> yes, mine do. My dad's my biggest fan. Awesome. Very yeah, cool. My dad's mine. Yeah. He, yeah. He'll get I let my, my husband beta read most of my work, and usually he'll read it, and his reaction, like every single time, will be like, oh, that was really good. And I'll be like, well, what did you like about it? He's like, um, no, it was just really awesome. I really liked it. So. I'm good with that. That's I was going to say, sometimes that's the best you can expect. That, that's, that's, that's about all you can go for. Don't press them for 
Well, my husband won't read mine either. So he's, he's like, oh, I want to read one of your happy ones. I'm like, oh, well. Don't have any. Okay. Sorry. Love you. <laughs> <laughs> someday. Someday I'll write a happy one. So. <laughs> Well, uh, let me let me ask one last question as we wind down here, and and it's it's kind of a variation on the on the first question, uh, uh, rather so much. Why do you write horror? Uh, uh, why why do people read horror? What, what what function does horror serve? I mean, horror has been around for centuries, uh, and I would even argue all the way back to to telling tales around the campfire before the printing press was a glint in Gutenberg's eye, people were scaring each other through stories and storytelling. And I'm, I'm just curious from each of your perspectives, uh, and, we'll, and we'll start off with Sarah, um, why do you think people read horror? What function does it serve in the context of, of the individual and the culture, do you think? I think, you know, we've chatted about this a bit. I think people just love to be scared. I personally read very, very widely. And I often, and I'm very, very picky as a reader. So I often get really frustrated. Sometimes I go through phases of trying to really read a lot of literary fiction. I'll flip through it. I'm like, when is something going to happen? Oh, my God. And there's always something. <laughs> not, you know, and I don't mean to cast any aspersions on literary fiction. There's some great stuff out there. But a lot of it is really a little bit too plodding for me. Um, and you can always, you know, pick up like a Stephen King book and you know that it's going to be, just have, have his snappy writing and there's just going to be awesome, crazy shit happening. It's just going to, there's like a comfort in going back to that and having that kind of, kind of stuff to read all the time. It's just, it's fast, it's fun, and it's good to be scared. Okay. All right, I can I can get behind that, uh, 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 Stacy. What about you? Uh, uh, why why do people like to be scared? I think, like Sarah said, it's fun, but I think it's also a release. People have so much tension, so much stress in their lives. There's so many very real horrors, uh, you know, ISIS, pedophiles. You know, we could go on and on and name the horrible, horrible things that happen in real life. So I think when you pick up a horror movie or you watch a horror book and it's these normal people, but these totally unrealistic things are happening to them and you get to build up that tension as you go through. And then there's that release when, you know, the final scare happens. I think it's a way for people to lose the real world for a little while and yet still release that tension. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. Absolutely. Karen, uh, you strike me as somebody that doesn't write a lot of happy endings. <laughs> uh, so, so I, you know, continuing the question, but, but it's like there, there's, there's, if, if justice isn't served, if, if the darkness sustains, uh, uh, what does that do for me as a reader? Well, just to back up a little bit, I think yeah. the reason horror has been prevalent from the beginning of time is it's always been a powerful teaching tool, but it's also a very cathartic thing that. Like Stacy said, we live in a really fucking scary world. I mean, just everywhere you look, everything's scary. And and it, it allows us control as far as not writing a happy ending. It depends on what you consider a happy ending. Um, there's a certain amount of realism to that, that there are no happy endings. I mean, there's just it just continues on. And I like to think my stories have a just ending. It may not be a happy ending for the characters, but it's just it, it's it's a natural conclusion. It is 
There's closure there. It's closure. It's the way it should be. And I think justice and happiness are two very, very different things. <laughs> I mean, and, yeah. and for me, I, I like walking away with a sense of darkness still because I'm morbid. I already said that, but also, you know, obviously I want my heroes to win and I, and I want them to come out at the end, but I don't want them to come out whole and smiling because that's, that's just, that's too unrealistic. I want them to have some bruises. I want them to be marked. I want them to walk away from the experience damaged a little because that's what life is. I mean, everything damages us, but that's, that's how we build the scars and that's how we, we get stronger. You know, we don't get strong from the good times. We get strong from the bad times. That's what makes character. That's what makes us who we are. Sure. Sure. And well, I guess that's my answer. The, the price, the price of justice uh, is, can be very steep. Absolutely. Yes. I think completely happy endings are dishonest to your readers or yes. viewers. If you're watching a movie or what have you, I, the movie, The Conjuring, not not a great movie, but I'm pretty much enjoying it until the end when it's all sunshine and rainbows. And I wanted to be like, no, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> that can't work. You know? <laughs> so, But the, the ending has to fit the work. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. And I agree. I agree that, that you know, if you're doing a romantic comedy, fine. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> that's, that's not where we are. That's not this group. Well, that's art realism anyway. <laughs> exactly. Talk about your fantasy genre. Uh, Mercedes, what about you, ma'am? What, what, uh, what, are, what are people looking for when they read a horror story? And, and uh, how, how does that work in, in the context of the, the larger picture of culture and society? Uh, I think there are a couple of different reasons. Uh, number one, um, definitely, like Karen said, they're a teaching tool. We've always been telling parables and stories and fables. You know, this is what happens. If you go and cry wolf, and then one day you do it so often, one day no one's going to be there to help you when you really need it. You know, so there are all these teaching tools, and that's what the, you know, the Grimm's fairy tales originally were, were teaching tools and to things to kind of remind people the consequences of things. And I think we live in a society now that has like no consequences. <laughs> so I think it's good to go back and be like, yeah, you, you know, summon up a demon, bad things are going to happen to you. I think yeah. that's great. <laughs> that's um, a good lesson to take away. Yes, absolutely. My, my children know that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a good mother. But um, I think also it's a way to bond and we like being scared. And, and like I said, horror is something we feel universally. I think it's kind of comforting to um, watch a horror movie, to have these things. I think it's comforting to read a book and see that bad things are happening and there are good people that are working to take that bad thing down. I think a lot of that seems to be, when I talk to people lately, that's kind of what we want to see. I want to watch true crime because I want to know this guy's out murdering people. I want to know the police are going after him. You know, I want to read this book about this, this horrible monster. I want to know that somebody's trying to take that guy down. And to see that there are good people. So I think the horror also reminds us that not only is there this darkness, but there are people that are actively trying in their lives to overcome this darkness and counteract this darkness. So I find a lot of hope in horror myself. That's and a good a lot point. Of won't all survive. Yeah, won't all survive. No. no but, uh, people will sacrifice for a cause. Right. But that's a good point. There's there's a common theme in in every horror story. At some point, somebody takes a stand. Exactly. Somebody rises up and says, "I will I will confront this." Maybe for selfish reasons. Maybe because I just want to get the fuck off my back. But but there will be uh, someone who stands against the evil, against the darkness, against against that horror. Uh, and and they may win or lose. But you know, 
maybe the lesson is the the fight is what's important. The the outcome is secondary. So I want to share something with you that that I just this is the reason this is the night I realized I fell in love with with my husband. Um, we weren't even dating yet, and I used to work at a sex offender home. A lot of you guys know that. And I would come home and I would just be crushed. And he was my next door neighbor. And I remember sitting on the front porch one evening and talking to him and being like, I don't understand. There are all these kids that are abused. There are all these people that do these things. And you try and you try and you try. And it's like, you know, sticking your finger in the dam. Like you can't hold everything back. There's all this horrible stuff going on. And it seems like, you know, nothing that I do or say makes a difference. And I remember he was hes a very wise young man. He um he turned and he looked at me and said, you know, we're always going to need somebody to fight the fights that no one can win. We always need someone to fight those fights. And I was like, oh, my goodness, this is a guy that will stand. And he does. He stands up for things all the time. But to have someone say, yeah, you know, you may not win, but uh, you got you have to try. At least I mean, you fight. Was, yeah. That was amazing. Yeah. And, and so I love that about horror. There always is somebody that stands. And it's not always the greatest, smartest. You know, in fantasy, it's like. I was a pig keeper's assistant, but now I'm this chosen one. <laughs> it's not like that. It's this stupid girl whose shoes keep falling off when she's running through the forest. But by golly, she's going to do something. You know? right. And there are normal people that are like, enough. I love it. I love it. So very true. So very true. Friends, I'm, I'm looking at the clock. It's ticking down. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring this to a close. Dear friends, please do go out uh, to, to all the finest uh, ebook retailers you know, and, and uh, I assume it's going to be on the shelves in, in several of those fine places as well. Uh, find the Grim Mistresses, uh, uh, featuring uh, SR Cambridge, Mercedes Yardley, C.W. Lassart, Stacey Turner, and unfortunately, uh, I meant to mention this earlier, uh, Allison M. Dixon couldn't join us. She's also represented uh, among the Grim Mistresses as well. <laughs> Sorry, that's my arm. No, that was perfect. (laughs) Allison M. Dixon. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) She would love that. I'm leaving it in. It's fabulous. Uh, Mercedes, Karen, Stacey, Sarah, thank you so much. This has been enlightening, delightful, a little scary, uh, and and all those wonderful things. and, And I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. So, friends, this brings uh, another Roundtable Dialogues to a close. Uh, uh, The regular Roundtable feed will pick up as normal every Tuesday. Creageous writers bringing stories to fabulous guest hosts. Brainstorming froth and awesomeness ensues. All the Roundtable goodness you come to expect. Uh, That'll just be a few days away, but until then... As I always tell you, you find what you're looking for. So look for the awesome. Look for the really sweet stuff. And if you look for it, my friends, I promise you, you will find it. We'll see you in just a few days. Until then, you guys stay cool, be frothy, be awesome. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. This episode of the Roundtable Dialogues is copyright 2015 by the Roundtable Podcast and released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means please don't sell it, but you can share it as much as you like. You can even use portions of it in your own derivative works. Just make sure you release those works under the same licensing terms and cite the Roundtable podcast as the source. We'd like to thank our guests for this episode of the Roundtable Dialogues, Mercedes Yardley, Stacy Turner, 
C.W. Lassart, and S.R. Cambridge. This gathering was not only a lot of fun, but also most enlightening. And we're grateful for your time and generosity in sharing your thoughts and perspectives. Keep your ears tuned to the feed for more roundtable goodness. But until then, and as always, thank you for listening. <laughs>